Now, thanks to the worship team that led us and uh, to the worship of our great God today. I always enjoy coming here. My wife and I both enjoy worshiping with this group of believers as much as any group of believers that we have opportunity to do so. Let me just say at the outset that it is a tremendous honor and joy for me to be able to be here today for Becky and I. Becky's in the back keeping a watch over our grandson. You would have never guessed she would have been back there with him. Uh, but it, it is a tremendous joy and honor to be here with you today. In studying for the message, I came across a text that certainly familiar with has been often a blessing to my own soul. But it made me stop and reflect that this really would be our thought of Redeemer. Becky and I, as we think of you folks, we try to pray regularly for the church as a whole and many people that we've come to know within the body here. It's found in Acts chapter 11. It happens fairly close to the beginning of the early church. Much of the activity in the beginning books or chapters of Acts is founded in Jerusalem. The church now, after suffering persecution, is scattered a little bit. They mainly go into pockets of Jewish population, but this particular group went forth preaching, teaching. They really just kind of break that barrier, and they're doing a lot of ministry to the Gentile as well as to the Jew. It's in the city of Antioch. And this is the testimony of that church that makes us think of you. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God and was glad. He exhorted them with all, exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And in Antioch, the Christian or the disciples were first called Christians. Three or four phrases there that come to my mind as I think about Redeemer. Certainly, the hand of the Lord is with you. It never ceases to cause my heart to rejoice and just marvel at God's goodness and who he brings into this fellowship. I met some new people today that just a joy to interact with, to ask, you know, why are you here? What brought you here? Just to know that the hand of the Lord is building this church. It is the hand of the Lord that is with this church. I like Barnabas' testimony. It says he went there and saw the grace of God. I remember reading a book a number of years ago by C.J. Mahaney, and he talks about the evidences of grace in a person's life. That really struck me as a good commentary of what our lives should be like, what our church should be like. People should be able to enter into the doors of this church. You should be able to be here to worship together and see the grace of God. To see what God is doing in the lives of people. How God is comforting, how God is protecting, how God is growing, how God is calling souls to himself and saving them. How God is mending relationships, how God is just interacting among us and it ought to be visible. It ought to be an evidence of God's grace. And when I come here, I see. I see the grace of God, and my heart, like Barnabas, is glad. It is important that as we move forward, and part of my exhortation to you as a body of believers today will be simply this, that you will remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This church was laid out with very intentional purpose. Several things that 
as God called Dan and Adam to come here 10, 11 years ago, they, they define clearly what it was that the Word of God set forth. And I would encourage you, I would challenge you as a brother in Christ to remain faithful to that, that you would set forth with steadfast, unmovable, that thought process of engaging in the purposes of God. Not only was it evident to see the grace of God, but it says that the city put a label on these people, these followers of Jesus. They started calling them Christians. That term in our society is so watered down and in many cases just really means almost nothing. But can you imagine in the first century the term being coined, Christians? These are people that are identified with Christ. These are people out in the community. It's like we saw in the training hour time as Dan taught from the book of Philippians. That people identified these people as followers of Christ. What an incredible testimony in the right context. That these followers were called Christians. Back when the term Christian had an enormous amount of weight with it. That's what we think about. We've gathered here today. Dan has asked me to come and be a part of this very special occasion. Dan and Adam have asked me to do that. We're going to set apart two men, Jim Hale and John Parker. We're going to set them apart to serve the Lord and this body as elders in the church. It's interesting as you look through the book of Acts, as you engage kind of in the history of the church. You will note that in the early stages that the leadership was entirely invested in the apostles. The disciples that became the sent ones, the apostles of Christ, the authority of the church was there, kind of all the major decisions were lodged in them. They kind of gave that initial effort of taking the gospel. And so in the early days, leadership was invested there. But in the initial stages, as the church continues to move on, as the witness of the gospel expands, as God, the gospel begins to invade city after city after city and explodes into people coming to Christ and coming to know him. And then these followers beginning to meet together in these bodies of believers that, as it says in our text today, Paul in this text says he appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the lord in whom they believe you begin to see this shift of structure that it went the leadership being invested in the apostles to the apostles and the elders so much so that in chapter 15 one of the great significant uh, markers in the new testament church at the jerusalem council When the people were called together, it says the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider the matter that was at hand. And so we see this shift moving from the apostles to the elders. So much so that toward the end of the, what we would know, the first century church, as Paul sends forth Timothy and Titus to kind of take his place in planting churches and overseeing some of the works, these men were both elders He tells them basically how to go and set forth appointing and training and acknowledging and examining elders. Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order 
and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. What we're doing here today is nearly 2,000 years old. That, for some reason, that's a great blessing to me. Sometimes in America, we think that we're creating things new because things change so rapidly and everything is new. But in our walk with the Lord, it is tied back to that eternal truth of God's word. It is tied back to that eternal truth of what God has set forth. And just as Paul in these cities appointed elders, our role, our job, our commission, our privilege today is to set aside, set apart Jim and John for this ministry. You find that the apostles were really kind of moving off the stage by the end, completely by the end of the first century church. Here's what I would like to do today. It's rather simple. I'm sure if you were preparing for this, that this would be kind of the logical progression of thought that you would have as well. One, I want us to be able just to think through the qualifications of an elder. These have been clearly identified, and these men, you voted on them, and so this is not something that's new to you. But I would like to kind of build a thought process of what an elder is, as well as your responsibility as a body of believers to them. So what are the qualifications of an elder? What is the ministry of an elder? What is the body's response to an elder? How are you to come alongside them? How are you to view them? How are you to help them? How are you to work with them? Then we're going to see what is the heart of an elder. And then we are going to lay hands on these brothers and try to get a good understanding of what we are doing in this significant event today. Let me just read for you the qualifications of an elder. This is a list that, just to be honest with you, no one really ever lives up to. But it is a list that is supposedly kind of identifies our life. Not that every day, every moment of every day that we are sinless and we're embracing these things, but this is to be the lifestyle of an elder. This is the qualification. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, if a man aspires to this office, if if you see someone, this is how you would identify. These are the qualifications of a man. The saying is trustworthy. I'm reading from 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, another term for elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He may Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Outsiders simply means those outside the church, outside the faith, people that you work with, people in your community who are not believers. 
He must be thought well of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Now Paul, in commissioning Titus, gives him a similar list with just a couple of additions. So I'll just kind of note the additions here to kind of round out what it is that this quali- these qualifications are. He lists, he says that a overseer, an elder, is God's steward. To me, this is a very critical element of understanding. Peter's going to pick up on this, and we'll see it in just a few moments. But the importance of understanding that an elder is not to domineer, it is not his church in that sense, it is Christ's church. He is a steward. A steward is a term that's used often in the scriptures to note that we are managing what belongs to another. As Christians, we are called stewards because all that we have is a gift from God. The church is Christ's body. It is Christ's bride. And an elder is simply one who manages that. He must always recognize that Christ is the head, that God is the ultimate that Christ is the ultimate authority, his word is the ultimate authority. It is not his decision to make, but rather he follows what God is doing. And so qualification is that he is God's steward. He says he must hold firm. Paul notes to Timothy he must be able to teach, but I think this is probably rounding out, kind of picking up on a little bit more of what they're to do. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In your church, you have kind of two groupings of elders, ruling elders and teaching elders. Dan and Adam primarily do the teaching and preaching from the pulpit. They're sharing in that capacity, that gifting that God has given them as a pastor-teacher. But elders are also involved not only in a pulpit ministry type thing, but being able to take the word of God and instruct people how to live lives that honor and glorify the Lord. And so they must be men who are not novices, but but men who have an understanding. They must hold firmly, must believe the truth of God's word. They must be able to look at someone, a brother or sister in Christ, and encourage them with conviction that thus saith the Lord. Must be able to deal with people who are contradicting truth, either through your life or lifestyle, or maybe just a little misunderstanding of truth, or contradicting truth that you're bringing in error to the church. An elder must be able to understand truth, hold firmly, have a knowledge of it to be able to instruct and contradict those who bring in deviant thought and behavior and uh, doctrinal uh, error. Why such a high bar? Why does God set such a lofty place for the elder? I think it is found in two particular passages with one central thought. Peter talks about not domineering over the church. You don't lead by force. But he says... You should be an example to the flock. Christianity, like any area of life, is in some way learned through observing. You watch someone's example and you follow that example. We see Christ. We follow after Christ. We imitate 
Christ. We imitate his behavior. We imitate his responses to things. Peter says you are going to learn how to be a believer by following the example of your leaders, the elders. Therefore, an elder must be a person that by and large their lifestyle is identified with Christ's likeness by the fruit of the spirit these things that these qualifications are not necessarily academic qualifications other than the fact they need to be able to teach but they are qualifications of character they're qualifications of how a man works with his family it is a qualification how a man is a good husband how a man is a good father and so you observe them. It's important to be able to see these things. In Hebrews, when he calls the people to submit to their leadership, he says, consider the outcome, the elders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Watch them. See what happens in their lives. They're not perfect people. Part of our responsibility is to pray for them. They are not perfect men. But they are men that hopefully, as Paul would say to those that he's engaging with, I want you to follow me because I am following Christ. I want you to be able to see the evidences of God's grace in my life that you might be able to look at the life and say, this is what a man of God's life looks like. These are the blessings that fall to faithfulness. These are the blessings that come in walking with the Lord. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are difficulties. But these are the blessings that rest there. Consider the end of their faith. Imitate their faith. What exactly is an elder to do? What would it be the ministry that John and Jim are being set apart to do? I think most of us could pretty well care for it here, but let me just take a couple of moments and think through. There would be two terms that I would say kind of identify an elder. It's a couple of verbs that's connected with given the title of an elder, a, a bishop, or an overseer, and a pastor, a teacher, a shepherd. The two are this, to shepherd and to give oversight. To shepherd the flock and to give oversight to the flock. Simply put, I think with one little prepositional phrase, to care for the people of God, to care. Someone mentioned that earlier today. I, I heard it in my ear because I've been thinking and, and you know, working through these thoughts all week long. And someone talked about that even in the prayer today of caring for God's people. What exactly does that look like? How is it done? Certainly to be able to shepherd people and give people oversight, you must know them. Sometimes this is one of the great challenges for any elder, particularly as a congregation or a family of believers grows, and it is to get to know them, to really be able to engage with them to the point that you have some understanding of who this person is that you are leading. I think one of the greatest ways you can ever get to know someone is to pray for them. 
There is something about praying for a person on a regular basis that connects your heart to them, you're drawn to them, you've invested in them, you're investing in them daily, weekly, however often you pray for them. You begin to be more concerned about them, about certain things in their life. Maybe they've confided in you to pray about something particular and you can pray with them and you can observe the evidences of God's grace in their life. When he lays out the identity of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, John 10, it's an interesting statement. I know my sheep. Not only in the sense he knows us in salvation, but I know them and they know me. In order to be a good elder, to shepherd people, you need to know them. And I would encourage you, John and Jim, as well as the other elders here, to know your flock, to pray for your flock, to feed them. What kind of shepherd would you have that never fed the people? What kind of an overseer would you have that didn't care for the health of those that they have oversight of? One of the main things is you want a healthy body. In order to have a healthy body, they need to be fed well. Not junk food. I'm not talking about actual food here. I'm talking about the meat of the word, truth. Being able to come together and sit here for several moments and listen to God's word be opened up. A, a study of the scriptures. It is these ruling elders coming alongside you and feeding you truth and helping you understand, engaging in life situations, instructing you how to deal with relationships, how to deal with certain things in your community, in your home, whatever the case might be. Feeding the people, equipping them, protecting them. One of the things that a shepherd always is seen doing, that is protecting the flock. He's got the rod and the staff, and he chases away the things. Two things that, as you open up the scriptures, as you think about shepherding people and caring for them, is that you protect them against outside forces, and you protect them against internal things. You know, the sheep have common enemies, the wolf and all these things that could come on them and hurt them. And so you certainly want to protect from outside things, from wrong teaching, wrong environments, cautioning us to be too engaged in our culture that it saps us and, and takes us from looking like Christ. But also that internal thing. This is a little trickier. I know that, you know, most often people do appreciate when you protect them from something outside, but when you begin to see things, and all of us are like this, all of us get upside down in our walk with the Lord. Even elders get upside down. I certainly can get upside down. And what, I, what I'm saying is that you just begin to look at life in a way that's not healthy. You begin to look at life in a way that is not congruent with the word, but running contrary to the word. It happens to us, particularly if we get out of the word for a season where you're not in the scriptures, you're not really thinking. And so your mind gets a little contrary. You're coming to church, but you're not really engaging in, in the worship. You're not really listening real well. And things just begin to slide. You begin to look at life differently. A part of what an elder does is to be able to come alongside people and help them. 
identify those things. For Adam and John and Jim, for Dan and Adam. To be able to clearly designate those things and help you. Sometimes maybe in a gentle but confrontational fashion. Sometimes simply giving instruction on something you might not even recognize and identify. But I want you to understand that if, if an elder or a person engages you about life, don't be offended. I, I know those sort of things maybe hurt a little bit, they sting a little bit, you know, we get a little bit repulsive, who are they to say this to me? We go away and we have conversations in our mind, I dare them to do this. Think of it this way. They are people, if their hearts are in the right place, and I believe they are, that have one mission, and that is to care for your soul. We're going to read in a little bit where God says to them, I'm going to hold you responsible. Someday you will stand before me and give an account for how you cared for the souls of my people. Let them be able to do that with joy. Allow them to speak into your heart and encourage you, even if it deals with lifestyle, things that you personally are struggling with and you're not really ready for someone to speak that to you. Receive it well, because that's a part of their ministry. That's what we're setting them apart to do today. We're going to lay hands on them and we're going to commit them to the Lord. We're going to commend them to the grace of God to be able to have the ministry God's called them to do in the midst of the flock here. Certainly, an elder is to guide and to lead. In the early church, and this is not necessarily the case for ruling elders who are involved in in working full-time vocations, even for Adam and Dan as they're involved in various things, just to make things come together financially in their lives. But it was important that there be people giving guidance to the church that could commit their minds and their hearts to that endeavor. And so therefore deacons were called and church people were called around to do the work of ministry in Ephesians 4 so that the elders might be able to guide and lead and pray and and study the scriptures that they might lead well that they might guide well, that they might know where it is that God wants us to go and that we will pursue it by the grace and strength of the Lord. That's the ministry of an elder. 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, To care for the church of God. I love this next part. This is the steward part. Which he, God, has obtained with his own blood. He purchased us. The church is precious, precious to the eyes of God. And Hebrews 13, 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. And those who will have to give an account for doing this. What are your responsibilities? Are you with me? I always like preaching here. I always sense that you're with me, so if you're not, you've done a great job fooling me anyway. (laughs) 
What are your responsibilities? And you have very clearly defined responsibilities in the scriptures toward your elders. First of all, I would say, pray for them. Paul issues a simple plea in 1 Thessalonians when he talks about kind of the the structure and responsibilities within the body of Christ. He says, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. I don't know what your life is like in your daily walk with the Lord. I hope you are learning to pray. I hope that you are engaging in prayer. I hope that prayer is more than just something that exists out there, but something that you've embraced fully and that you utilize to the honor of the Lord. But pray. When we see the qualifications, it it, it would be good for you to occasionally, as you pray for your elders, that ought to be something you do on a regular basis. Go back through those qualifications and ask God to build that into their lives, to continue to strengthen those things. Pray for John, pray for Julie, for Jenna. It's easy for their family, they're all J's if you got the right J's. For Joel and Jeremy. Pray for them. A part of John's responsibility, a part of Jim's responsibility, Jim and Allison, there he is, and, and little Madeline, they're to be good husbands. They're to be good dads. I think all of us recognize being a dad and a husband, that's not easy work. That's really hard to do. It is hard to to be a good parent and train your children the nurture and admonition of Christ. It it is hard to know and and to have that relationship where you're guiding and directing and you're shepherding, you're caring for your family. So pray. Pray for, for John and Jim. Pray for their wives. Pray for their children. Ask God to work in them. Ask God to help them. Pray for these people. In Acts 14, the passage that we have today, I like what he says here. When they, before they laid hands on them, it says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. Anytime you see someone being committed to the Lord in this way, you see prayer connected with it. Pray for your elders. Secondly, have a Christ-honoring attitude toward them. Dan mentioned that I've been in this vocation for a long time. 42 years. That's a long time. That's more than most of you have been around. Probably the majority of you have been around. One of the great keys to pastoring is good people. I I can't tell you how many times I've said to Dan when I'm coming up here, when I'm talking to him about Redeemer. We love you people. When I come up here and meet you and talk with you, and I know I don't know you real well. Maybe if I knew you better, it would change my mind. But (laughs) I often say to him, Oh, Dan, God has given you good families. Good people. People that love the Lord. I, I know all of us have our quirkiness, and all of us have sinful tendencies. But what good families, people that Becky and I enjoy getting to know and praying for you and and when I come and engaging with you. Just good families. 
if these men are to succeed in shepherding the church well, you must have the right attitude, a Christ-honoring attitude. What are some of the things that make that Christ-honoring attitude? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen carefully. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Respect your elders. They're not perfect. I mean, that's, that's a given. But if you learn, because God has placed them in your life in a spiritual capacity to lead you, that you would respect their leadership. As a parent, you're not always worthy of respect, okay? You blow it. But your children are always to respect you. If a home is to flow in a way that it should, a wife and the children must give respect to a husband. If you belittle a husband, if you belittle a leader constantly, put them down, make fun of them, and certainly you're not in a place to be led by them. It's important to respect. It's important to respect the office for their work's sake. The matters that we deal with in church are eternal matters. There are things that prepare us for glory. There are things that are ultimately tied to truth that can set us free. And it's critical that you as a body of believers respect your elders, respect John, respect Jim, and then esteem them highly. It doesn't mean that you place them up onto some kind of you know, weird pedestal. But it is that sense where you esteem them and give them respect and give them some sense of honor because of what they are doing in your life. And you do it in love. Love your elders. I don't think they're hard to love. I I like them all. I know Jim probably the least of all of them. John and I have a very, very long history and his family. Joy, such a joy to have them here as a part of this today. But love them. Love your elders. Care for them. Pray for them. Engage with them. Help them. Encourage them. Respect, esteem, and esteem them in love. And then be at peace among yourselves. Biggest thing you can ever do is just don't go to fighting all the time. What's one of the worst things a parent has to do? If you have multiple children, it is breaking up fights. What wears on you more than anything else is just that nipping back and forth. It can just almost drive you insane. And it's the same thing in a church. Some of the most unpleasant memories I have in shepherding is just when people are sniping people within the body. People are undermining and being ugly and saying things and critical and nipping in a corner and gossiping over here and this and that. And that's horrible. So Paul says, just in a simple way, you want to do something for your elders? Just be at peace among yourselves. Get along. Work together.
The last one is simply to be able to follow your elders, as, Paul, or as the writer of the Hebrews says, to be able to uh, obey and submit to them. That's not always easy in our culture. But it's important to learn to follow those that God has called to lead you and follow them well, not blindly. There are measures for that. In Timothy, he calls that dealing with elders that are gone astray. But follow your elders and submit to them. What is the heart of an elder? Two things, I would say. I encourage you, this is kind of a challenge to John and to Jim and to the rest today, but this, listen carefully. Pursue Christ. You want to be a good elder, John, Jim? Pursue Christ. Go hard after Jesus. Go hard after his word. You will excite more energy and help from this body of believers if they see in you a genuine passion and love for Christ. Pursue Christ. Secondly, care for his bride. I've had the privilege of interacting with many, many, many young men over the years. Having the opportunity to help train them to be pastor teachers, to help train them as elders, to help train them as leaders in this way. There was a passage that came to my attention many years ago that was a help to me, and I've passed this along to many, and I pass it along to John and Jim here today. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. How do you care for the bride? Listen to these two metaphors that he gives, or excuse me, similes he gives. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I don't know that you could really choose something that would more closely designate someone who cares for another. A mom who is nursing a child and caring for them and loving them and just pouring her life literally into this little one. Paul said, you want to shepherd a church well? You shepherd the church like a nursing mother cares for her children. That's pretty dramatic. That's pretty radical. But not only are you to care for them like a nursing mother, but he goes on down later in the verses and says this, For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Not only do you care for them in a gentle, loving, compassionate way like a nursing mom, but you're to care for them like a dad. Like a dad that has to sometimes say to the son, hey, come on, let's get up, get going, let's, get, let's make this thing happen. Encouraging, leading with strength, with conviction, with love. But being able to exhort like a father. Both of these things, Jim and John, need to be active in your heart. This is what I'm talking about. The heart of an elder. The heart of an elder is to pursue Christ. And as you pursue Christ and see the worth of his body, his bride, then you will care for her like a nursing mother and a father. 
This is another verse that's been helpful to me. It's found at the end of the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, purpose, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Set a goal, Jim, John, to see this body of believers continue to mature in Christ to grow in their knowledge of God, to grow in their walk with the Lord, that they would walk in a way that commends Christ so that when people come here, they can see the grace of God evident in your life. In just a few moments, I'm going to be turning the service back over to the elders here. We're going to be laying hands on these two brothers today. Very significant. I, I can remember at different occasions in my life where a group of people came around me and laid hands on me. But there's something extremely sobering about that. There's something extremely encouraging about that. You have a sense of responsibility in that moment. Many times when I pray with brothers that are really walking through hard times, I'll get over and kneel down beside them and put my arm around them. There's something about that sense of laying your hand on them. Laying hold of hands is seen all through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. It typically is, is, is done in relationship to setting someone apart or in doing them with power to do a job for the Lord. It has some special significance of our relationship with God. And so in just a few moments, we're going to lay on hands... And then we're going to do what, they, what Paul did in Acts 14. We're going to commit them to the Lord. I like that. That's who they're working for. That's who they're serving ultimately. Commit them to the Lord. I think when Paul and Barnabas were set apart, and then they set apart other people to the work of the Lord, there's another phrase used that I really like that I think kind of expands, if you will, gives maybe more clarity to committing them to the Lord. It says that they commended them to the grace of the Lord. I like that. I want to commend you to the grace of the Lord. I want you to sense what Paul said in 2 Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened. Listen carefully to this. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It isn't that elders are smarter than anyone. It isn't that elders are more clever than anyone. It is that elders should be acknowledging and, and experiencing the grace of God to strengthen them. To strengthen them to lead. To strengthen them to have wisdom. The grace of God that will... Help have wisdom as you navigate difficult things for the body of Christ. Difficult things for people within the church. People's lives get messy. Do you agree or disagree with that? I mean, you guys, you're, you're not messy. But lives get messy. Relationships get messy. And it takes a lot of wisdom to help people navigate through messy situations. And it is God's grace that will do that. This is Paul's testimony. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. If an elder does a good job, to God be the glory because it is the grace of God that equips them and enables them to do that. Commending someone to the Lord, laying hands on them, we will commit them to the Lord and commend them to the grace of God. Dan.